Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, and I'd like to welcome you to another episode of Life with GDPR. This is the podcast series where, together with Jonathan Armstrong, partner at Cordery Compliance in London, we take a look at data privacy, data protection, and all issues related to GDPR, the English data protection law, and data protection and data privacy laws in the United States. It's a podcast that every compliance practitioner needs to be a listen to and be a part of the discussion going forward for this most important issue in compliance today. I'm Tom Fox, the Compliance Evangelist. Life with GDPR is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back again for another episode of Life with GDPR with Jonathan Armstrong, partner at Cordery in London. Jonathan, welcome. Thank you very much, Tom. So, Jonathan, uh, I've been hearing a sort of legal slash compliance slash market rumors of uh, lawyers flocking to class actions under GDPR uh, in the UK, and even now it's starting to percolate in the United States. What are you seeing around that issue? Yeah, that's uh, that is definitely happening. We've got uh, some. Uh, I, I was going criti- to. I'm not allowed to criticize lawyers professionally, of course. That's the UK <laughs> of course, rule. of course. Uh, if I if I was, I'd say that. Some lawyers in this space have uh, ambition beyond their own talent, um, but we're certainly seeing. I think you could expand that to lawyers generally. <laughs> but, but we're certainly seeing a bowling in of uh, U.S. lawyers as well in um, in the uh, U.K. market, particularly trying to uh, expand class actions into the world of GDPR, and it's been good week, bad week for them in some respects. So we've seen that, for example, in the large BA class action, the class action breaks um, Thursday, Friday, and by Sunday, it seems, a letter before action is sent to BA by a firm connected with a firm of US class action attorneys. So, you know, moral of the story number one is class action lawyers work weekends. So uh, corporate lawyers obviously have to as well. And certainly that's been our experience in connection with data breaches in particular. So there's lots of that type of litigation kicking about. We've just had back in court a um, class action against Morrison's. Uh, Morrison's is a, a supermarket. And what happened there is quite an interesting case in a number of respects. But uh, to cut it very short, Morrison's had a dispute with an employee. They'd suspected him of running a drugs ring from the office. And he'd been using their post room to send out packages that people were ordering, uh, I believe, over eBay. Now, uh, somebody got suspicious and the police were involved and they tested the packages and found that they were supplements for uh, bodybuilders rather than uh, uh, prescribed drugs. And the individual was uh, suspended, but then reinstated. Uh, He felt quite bitter about the way in which he had been handled. There was no suggestion. I I believe he'd reimbursed the company for the postage involved. And he was allowed back to his position where he was an IT, uh, in the IT audit crew. Now, then there's um, a slight unfortunate episode. And I, I think this is a, a, an interesting aspect of the case that doesn't seem to have been looked at. But the auditors uh, arrive to do their annual audit. And they want to uh, audit the salary of employees. 
Now, in my view, the proper approach, certainly pre-GDPR and definitely post-GDPR, would be for the auditors to say, okay, we've got a test that these employees exist. Give us the pay records of employee one, of employee 73, 254 or whatever, right. and they randomize the numbers of the records they want, and they analyze those records. So in my view, that's the proper way to do it. If they can do it on-premise, even better. But the auditors said that their preferred methodology was for the entire PeopleSoft database to be transferred to them. So this that is getting it quite ugly quite quickly. It is. It is, absolutely. Wow. And it gets worse. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and so they start and do that. And then they realize that the PeopleSoft database is too large to export from their email system. Now, by then, you know, a, a warning bell, the size of the warning bell on the Titanic, you would have thought, would have been clanking away. But regardless, let's proceed. And so they realize that they're going to need a trusted employee to burn all of this stuff onto a CD. And who could they trust more than the guy who's just returned from uh, suspension? So he um, burns uh, a CD for the, uh, for the auditors, and he takes an insurance copy for himself. And he decides that he's still mad at his employer, and he sends his copy to uh, a newspaper. And a newspaper, uh, you know, effectively with the, you know, this is how bad Morrisons are at data security. They're allowing people to download the entire uh, PeopleSoft database, and um, and he sends that to the newspaper, and the newspaper turn that in, and a police investigation ensues, and the individual is imprisoned, and I think that's about uh, eight years ish, so it's a fairly substantial jail sentence for his part in that. Now, what then happens is a, a firm of lawyers representing some of the employees. Uh, issue proceedings against Morrison's. They obviously don't want to see the individual because he's in prison, no visible means of income. So they sue Morrison's. And Morrison's, it's an interesting case in my view in that it doesn't seem to be an issue in the case whether Morrison's were primarily, uh, whether they had primary liability. So, so nobody seems to have argued from what I've seen that Morrison's didn't take care. Um, but what the case is about, really, is whether they were vicariously liable for the actions of this rogue employee. And the, uh, and the initial court found that they were, and this week uh, the appeal was lost. So it's probably got to go up to our Supreme Court. But as things stand at the moment, a really significant case, I think, for GDPR in that I think it goes against what some of us would have thought from our law firm days, that even a bad actor, even somebody who commits a pretty serious criminal offence, is still somebody who the company, corporation, can be responsible for in data protection terms. So I think it possibly increases the bar with things like GDPR training, for example, with things like background checks on employees, with checking that you've got the right guy in, in the right 
in, in the right place. And I suspect the bar is higher than most corporations are prepared for on that liability piece. Now, what happens in terms of damages? So there's, uh, uh, from memory, about 120,000, I think, in the potential class. Only, I think the last time I looked, don't quote me on these numbers, about 12,000 had opted in. Uh, and we don't yet know what the level of damages might be. But let's say it's about £1,000 each. It's a fairly significant case, probably, on that basis. And one would have thought that if they succeed in getting significant damages, then, then there's the possibility, I guess, of more people opting in and, and getting closer to um, you know, the, the full total of those that, that were ex expected. Now, um, uh, the, the, the other thing that I guess is interesting in this context is we've also had another case recently on opt-in, opt-out. And the general rule, of course, in Europe is that you have to opt in to be part of a class action. As I understand it, the general rule in the US is you have to opt out. So the numbers in class actions can be a fairly low order. You know, one of the first, if not the first, consumer class action, I think, in the UK was about Manchester United football shirts. Um, many people have bought Manchester United football shirts. Very few opted in to the class action. So percentages tend to be low. If Morrison's is around the 10% level, that's probably you know, about as high as any that I can remember. And so uh, we had uh, a case called Vidal Hall, um, and there's details on our website about the original case. It's, it's over something called the Safari Workaround. So it was Google getting data from Apple devices. So we had this initial piece of litigation, uh, Vidal Hall, which was effectively an opt-in action. Uh, and then a guy called Richard Lloyd, who was formally collected with the Consumers Association in the UK, then tried to bring what was essentially an opt-out class action, so a much larger class. And it was quite an unusual action in that he tried to bring the action on behalf of uh, everyone who had ever used uh, a device that ran the Safari browser between a certain, uh, a certain set of dates, except for members of the judiciary. And his argument seemed to be that he had to exclude members of the judiciary because they couldn't be a judge in their own trial. And, um, and there's been an initial hearing for leave to uh, serve outside of the jurisdiction. And uh, again, we're trying to get uh, more details of that and, and we're recording this in Las Vegas and these things are happening in, in the UK. But from what it seems uh, is that the judge has rejected that on the basis that not all of the uh, potential claimants have an identity of interest. And what he said is just because something is done without consent doesn't mean necessarily that that causes them harm and distress. And the interesting analogy he's used is surprise parties. He says some, but some people like a surprise party. They might like a surprise birthday party. Just because they've not consented to that party happening doesn't mean to say that they've caused, been caused distress and inconvenience when the party does take place. So it seems as if, 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 if this uh, decision is going to be followed, 
that whilst there's a huge expansion of the possibility of bringing claims under GDPR, it's not going to be the free-for-all some would perceive it would be in the US. Yes, under GDPR, there are going to be enhanced rights to claim damages. You're going to have a lower burden of proof to get damages. But we've had the Schrems 2 case, which went to the uh, ECJ over jurisdictional type issues. And it looks as if you're going to have to sue in the nation state court relevant to those data subjects rather than bring one action that covers everybody across the EU. So that could be a limiting factor. Uh, uh, and in addition, this opt-in, not opt-out, could also be a limiting factor to, to uh, litigation for, for privacy cases as well. So I think from my point of view, it's, it's a really interesting fascinating area. Uh, my colleague Andre Bywater has done a, a lot of work on this and the, there's some stuff on our website about it. I think we're going to see a real rise in privacy litigation. Um, but as I say, it's been a, something of a mixed week, I think, for, um, for those who are trying to, to bring privacy litigation uh, in, uh, in the EU. The, uh, I find it very interesting, uh, let me just throw out some uh, U.S. legal uh, concepts, uh, with the employee in the Morrison's case, we would call that ultra-virus conduct, yes, yeah. which is uh, generally intentional illegal conduct outside the course and scope of the employment. Um, I guess the uh, sticking point to start with might be, though, that the, he didn't steal this. He was instructed to uh, procure this data. Now, he did take the second step of making a second copy, but if he's instructed by an employee, employer uh, to make the copy, um, uh, I guess uh, that to me is, is a negative factor on the company. But to your uh, additional point of uh, whether you call it background due diligence, whether you call it screening, all of the things that we would see within a uh, standard anti-corruption and a bribery compliance program for an employee... Um, I'm not particularly offended by a company having to, to take those steps mm -hmm. for an employee, certainly on the training. Mm -hmm. on, the, on the screening, it uh, seems like you would really uh, want to look for employees who might be more risky in their jobs so that if they're in a finance position, you might want to screen for prior fraud activity. Yeah. Uh, you might want to screen for um, dodgy bank activity. If they're in IT, you might want to screen to see if uh, they uh, had engaged in such action before. Um, and if you have a obviously disgruntled employee, you might not want to engage in uh, risky behavior of downloading an entire database of, of PeopleSoft uh, information on your employees or instructing that person to do it. So. Um, we also say in the U.S. that bad facts make bad law. Yeah. And this really seems to be just a series of bad steps, bad facts, which led to a, a catastrophic result. I think that's right. And I think that whilst uh, the court didn't criticize the uh, audit firm involved, you have to ask questions as to whether that, that is appropriate to do it in that way. I don't think it's a case where a lot of people come out shining with uh, you know, a glorious halo over their head. 
And perhaps it does illustrate the fact that you do have to be cautious. You know, uh, under GDPR, if you're going to do something like this, you ought to do what's called a data protection impact assessment, a DPIA. We've talked about that before in our podcasts, and you can go back and, and download uh, the one on DPIAs and, and what they mean and what the process is involved. But I would doubt that anybody did a DPIA or PIA, as they used to be called, in this case. And, and, and that... I think if you had have done one properly, there would have been warning flags all along the way. You know, can we trust this employee? Is it right to take data in this way? Can it be done on premise? All of these things, I think, would be warning bells. You know, are we using DLP software to make sure that that the minimum amount of data is being moved around the network? So it's a, it's a very unfortunate case, and of course, if it hadn't been, you know, the, the only person perhaps that comes out with some glory is the newspaper recipient who did the right thing and turned the data back. There are, you know, less scrupulous people could have caused quite a bit of harm with that data. You know, it's interesting. When you began the, uh, the telling of the tale, I thought it was going to be the audit firm. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it speaks to me to two additional needs, one of which you articulated quite well, the DPIA. As a company, you need to sit and think, what is every instance that our data might be leaving? Uh-huh. Uh, but it also brings up the fact for a vendor, for a consultant, uh, for anyone working uh, uh, with a company, when are we going to receive data? How are we going to receive data? Do we have protections around that? What if that data had been leaked or stolen or even purloined, my yes. favorite Sherlock Holmes word, from the, <laughs> from the audit firm? What yes. if they had, uh, what was the phrase you used, left it in a cab? Uh, you yeah, know, yeah. left a disc in a cab. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, it's really, uh, I think, a really prescient example for contractors, vendors, and others that they also need to do uh, DPIAs as well. Yes. Yeah, I, I guess I should say from an accuracy point of view, I've sort of paraphrased the case. So, but it's it's worth reading the initial trial judgment to see the judge's logic, and I'm uh, awaiting the court of appeal judgment to see how much of that they endorsed. My my gut feel is it probably will go to the Supreme Court. So it might well be that we'll get back to the ultra vires action type uh, scenario that that we certainly have had. In, in English law previously. But again, there's another case, bizarrely also involving Morrison's, which concerns a, uh, a petrol station attendant who went and assaulted a customer that would also suggest that certainly the appellate courts are um, at the very least narrowing that uh, ultra vires case law and saying that, that employers are more likely than perhaps they used to be to be responsible for the actions of employees. One of the logic steps there is saying that it is easier for employers to insure against these episodes and therefore victims uh, can find recompense versus you know suing an individual petrol station attendant who you know hits you in the mouth you're unlikely to get uh, you're unlikely to get compensation for your injuries that way well Jonathan this has been a fascinating exploration of uh, some new uh, data information and cases uh, class actions under uh, GDPR I look forward to seeing where this might go and look forward to continuing the conversation my pleasure 
Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Life with GDPR. If you have any questions, you can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. You can email Jonathan at jonathan.armstrong at quarterycompliance.com. Hope you'll join us again for another episode of Life with GDPR. Life with GDPR is part of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.